0: Welcome to Case by Case. This is a podcast brought to you by Callum Chain and Luke Savkevich from ZFZ. How are you, Callum? I'm great, Luke. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh, coming up for air, to be honest. I've been handling a, um, a casualty case all last week up in the Arctic. So, um, yeah, it's been, a, been a, um, a tense one, but coming out the
1: other end of it, thankfully. That's a fun one. An Arctic casualty.
0: Yeah, always busy, always busy. And um, today we've got a, a, a shorter one. We've got a, a London arbitration um, summary to get through. We've got one of our one of our uh, quote unquote ten minute episodes. I think is it, is it possible for us to do ten minutes? Like it's just starting from the case. History suggests not. Okay, let's try, hey, let's try. Okay, so I no more mucking around. Um, let's get straight into it. It's Lloyd's Maritime Law Newsletter, London Arbitration Seven Twenty Three. 23 um, So, yeah, it came out very recently, June 2023. Um, we're in the world of shipping. We're looking at re-delivery of a vessel. Um, there were um, problems um, experienced by this vessel. We have a, a time trip charter where the vessel was supposed to deliver in um, India or Pakistan in Charter's option. Uh, there were issues and the uh, the vessel was damaged at Pakistan, I think it was, in Gadani And then the vessel went over to near Fajira, um, I think it was, um, and had repairs done there. Uh, and the Charter was then purported to re-deliver and owners said, well, you're not supposed to redeliver deliver here. You're supposed to redeliver the vessel back in India or Pakistan under the charter. And then they brought um, a bunch of claims related to that, some for additional crew bonus uh, for having to sail through a war risk area and loss of a fixture and some other related claims as well in there. So it's all about... Um, what happens at the end of a time charter party and looking at when charterers do not deliver the vessel back where okay where it should be
1: re-delivered and and what happens thereafter and i like the emphasis on where because here we're talking about a question of where is the ship re-delivered not when is the ship re-delivered and that's a different question but ultimately with a similar a similar answer um, if London Arbitration 7.23 is to be believed. And actually, my view is it is to be believed. I don't know what your thoughts were on this one, Luke, but I th- I, th- I think that this is an example of the tribunal getting to the right conclusion. I agree. I, I didn't
0: have any, any commentary, really, to make on the outcome of this one. Um, so perhaps we just kind of skip through each of the claims. We had the additional crew war
1: bonus was dealt with first, at least in the summary. And there were two clauses here where um whereby charterers could be liable for a payment to the crew so what's happening here is the crew are being asked to sail through a high risk area and the owners are therefore paying their crew some bonus on account of the additional exposure to risk that they are facing um and owners then want to recover this back from charterers because obviously it's charters who have ordered the ship to go through that high risk area um the There are two clauses here. The first one was in the uh, piracy clauses, and this is under the heading costs. It said, if the owners become liable under the terms of employment to pay the crew any bonus or additional wages in respect of sailing into an area which is dangerous, then that actual bonus or additional wages shall be reimbursed to the owners by the charterers. The second one was the BIMCO Standard War Risks Clause from 1993 which said, if the owners become liable under the terms of employment to pay the crew any bonus or additional wages in respect to sailing into an area which is dangerous, then such bonus or additional wages shall be reimbursed to the owners by the charterers. So very similar wording on both counts. And so so what, what you'd expect to see then is
0: owners coming along and showing that they've become liable under terms of employment... Uh, to pay crews a bonus,
1: right? Exactly. That is, You think this is an absolute cut-and-dry, slam-dunk case, provided owners can simply show that under the terms of employment they're required to pay the crew a bonus. And what happened here? They said well, we weren't required to pay the crew a bonus but it's customary to do so and we elected to do so uh, as a kind of ex-gratia bonus payment to the, to the crew, to which Charter said, well, you're not falling within the clause we're not paying you. And it was a Let's say novel
0: argument. I think the tribunal even said it's the first time they've come across this type of uh, custom or necessity argument. So basically saying that, and I can kind of see where owners are coming from here. The crew is saying, "Well, we're not going. We're not going to continue sailing. We've got a problem with this um, unless you pay us some more." And it might not technically be in our contract, but um, eh, you know, we're we're having to sail through a high risk area, and you should pay us. Um, and I think the owners. May have gotten somewhere if they were able to actually show evidence um, of custom or necessity, or that you know, even though it might not be exactly in black and white in the contract, maybe they get they they get somewhere. I don't think it would succeed ultimately. I think it has to you have to become liable under the terms of employment, and um, that's probably where it, it, it rises and falls. But what the tribunal said here is that there was no evidence to show that this custom or necessity argument even got off the ground.
1: And we've seen this before with custom of the trade. It's hard to argue to say there's a, there is basically a term that should be put into this contract because it's so customary, it's so normal, it's so everyday that when this type of clause is agreed, what they really mean, taking into account the customs of, of trade, is this um, other thing. That's a really difficult argument to succeed on. You need really good evidence. And here they didn't bring any. So unsurprisingly, clause wasn't satisfied um, and owners didn't get the money back.
0: So moving on to the second, the second head of loss, uh, which is a sub chartering and unsafe discharging operation. I must admit, I I struggled a little bit here to understand what the loss was um, and what was it related to. Um, so he, did you,
1: did you? I was kind of reading through, thinking, what are they actually claiming here? <laughs> so what I think it was. Um, and, as ever, if you 're involved in this case and hearing me completely butcher it, please get in touch. What I think it was was that they were trying to reframe all the other losses as being losses for a breach of the requirement not to subcharter so they were trying to say because in, in, it 's correct to say that in the charter party su- charterers were uh, charters were not entitled to subcharter the vessel they weren't they, they weren't allowed to as a breach of the charter party, but they did it anyway um and Obviously owners knew that they had a slam dunk case if um if for for that breach in terms of liability they were fixed. But in terms of quantum, it was very difficult. It was very difficult for them to say all of this loss flows from your, your breach by subchartering, because actually the, the, the subchartering didn't really have any close connection to the to the losses that were suffered. And I think this, this section of the of the decision was effectively the um owners saying all this loss is really caused by your subchartering. And the tribunal saying, no, that's not the case at all. Um, the the cause of those losses was not the fact that the ship was subcharges. It was the fact that the ship was redelivered in the wrong place.
0: Yeah, I, I totally see that. And um, yeah, where it opens up, it says sought to underpin their claim for losses. So it's it's the losses that they're claiming in the next, next section as well. That it's almost an alternative basis. And I suppose that's what threw me a little bit. It, it, it's a it's an argument that you kind of see after the main argument. I, I wouldn't have thought this was the main way to put forward the claim for those losses. And it's the kind of you know, catch-all, can we get it through on a on a, a breach of this, um, you know, restriction on subchartering type argument. It failed. Um, and... Yeah, I, I don't think much needs to be said on that, frankly. I, I, did you ha- have any, any comments to make on that? I thought it was pretty
1: clear that there was no, no causative link. I agree. There's, there's, there's no... You need, you need that direct causative link between the breach and the loss, and here there wasn't that. The the, the loss arose from a different breach, Um, and to the extent that it's claimable, well, that's what we're about to discuss. This is, And I find this quite interesting. You see this every now and again. What are your losses where a ship has been redelivered late, redelivered in the wrong place, redelivered in the wrong condition and the key question that always arises is can you claim a lost follow-on fixture so you could have got this great fixture in the market had the ship been redelivered contractually it wasn't and you missed the opportunity to get that great fixture can you claim it back um and the answer here and in so many cases is no you cannot um uh, following the achilles supreme court decision um which I think you know, if we, there there was some debate on the way up in the, in the Achilles, and there was actually a really interesting obiter comment in the Court of Appeal. I can't remember which Lord Justice it was, but they they said effectively, if you overrun, um, this was in this was in the context of re redelivering late, and they said that this, the, the Achilles was a late redelivery claim, and they said if you are redelivering late. What you're effectively doing after the charter party is agreeing a new contract um, for the extended period and part of the it's it's feasible that part of the terms of that new contract for the extended period would be um making good the losses suffered by uh owners for the fixture that they had to cancel for you to have this have it instead um it was a really kind of creative way of looking around it in these overture comments is and the the, the lord Justice said basically um this wouldn't work but this is how you might try and find that shape that argument in a way that makes um sense if you know if, if you're if you have a late redelivery dispute or you're interested in this kind of thing then the court of appeal um that, that court of appeal decision in the achilles is a really interesting look at the way that you might try and shape that argument either way um supreme court um said no the you're you're loss for a, um you, you you just don't get this loss for a follow-on fixture um, obviously, that case was looking at late redelivery, but it's applied here equally. Well, that's what I was going to say, um, is that, you know, that was a late redelivery argument. And here
0: we're talking about a uh, wrong location uh, redelivery issue. And the tribunal agreed with the charterers here um, and said that the same principles must apply in the context of a redelivery in the wrong place as well as at the at the wrong time. So, oh, that was a, a helpful um, a helpful comment to the extent there was any doubt about that, and I'm not sure there was, um, and they uh, referred to the, the passage in Cook's Judgment in, in Maestro Bulk and Costco Bulk, the, the great creation case in um, 2015. I think this is a useful quote to to read out. It is the very nature of the follow-on fixture when compared with a hypothetical follow-on fixture, which gives rise to the notions of unquantifiability, unpredictability, uncontrollability, and disproportionality at the date of the charter, even if the fixtures can be quantified ex post facto. Um, and, you know, it's this, it's this notion that it's, it's hard to quantify. You wouldn't know what it is. And I I always wonder um, about these kinds of cases. I've I've had this thought, I've actually had this debate with a a colleague at at another firm before, um, uh, around um, foreseeability and remoteness type type arguments, that I don't think there'd be too much harm in many cases if you actually do have a follow-on fixture lined up um, prior to chartering. And that's, you know, that might be rare, usually the, the follow-on fixture will arise during the charter. But it's not just in a shipping context. It could be in a commodity uh, contract or any kind of contract, frankly, commercial contract, where you, you actually want to put the other side on notice of some facts or some consequences that might happen if they breach certain aspects of the contract. So, in negotiations, it's, uh, oh, um, Hadley, back to Dale, right? If if there's special knowledge, special facts that you're aware of and that the other party um, is aware of at the time of fixing, you can actually um, say, well, you knew. You had knowledge. You had special knowledge that in this case, that we had this follow-on fixture. And if you didn't meet it, that's a problem. And you went ahead and fixed on that basis anyway. And that's really the critical part of it, isn't it? You need to be able to show that the other side knew. If they breached this... this um, uh, this provision, and this would be the consequence for you, and they took on that risk at the outset, they knew about it, they knew about that potential outcome, and contracted on that basis, then you, you might kind of navigate around this. So,
1: you know, you can almost say
0: at times it, it helps to share information about what's going to happen
1: if they breach, right? Yes, yeah, share, your, share your, commercial, uh, your commercial information. The difficulty is I don't think you'd persuade anyone in the chartering team to 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 say what well, they've fixed their next fixture at, but you're right. This would basically in, in, I suppose, in legal speak, you've got your, you've got your two limbs of Hadley and Baxendale, limb one, the type of losses, which are reasonably foreseeable at the date of entering into the contract. And you have the Achilles, you have the great creation. You have a number of other ca- cases that say a follow on fixture. Does not count for, for a limb one, Hadley in Baxendale. And what you're talking about is limb two Hadley in Baxendale, where you're looking at losses, which were not reasonably foreseeable at the date of the, um, at, at the date of entering into the contract. In the objective sense, but subjectively, the parties knew about them. So, if if you can if you can pull your losses into that second bucket, then you could then you could feasibly recover them.
0: But but, but it's interesting. Like I I agree with you that a commercial the commercial team wouldn't want to divulge exactly what they fix at. Would they need to though? Well, you know would it not be enough to say we've we've lined up a, a follow on fixture? It starts at this time. The vessel needs to be here. If you if you can't meet that, um, you know we're not going to fix with you. It was fixed at roughly market rates, um, without giving a figure. Uh, I think probably what happens is the other party doesn't go ahead with the charter, right? And they say, well, you know, you know, we're not gonna we're not gonna be bound to having no flexibility at the end of the charter. We're not going to fix with you. Maybe that's what the
1: reality. Yeah, well, we need to we need to um, exclude those losses then. That's what yeah. I suppose that's what a spire <laughs> charge would say. I have a consequential loss exclusion, that will that will do the trick. I didn't have much more to say on this, did you? No, I think in this so in this case, just to round it off, here the failure was they redelivered delivered in the wrong place. There was no date for redelivery. So the so the argument from the owner was effectively uh, sorry, the argument for the charter from the from the owner um, was we 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 should recover our loss of profits. If you had re delivered in the right place, we would get all of these profits on this other fixture. It would have been a forty-day fixture with a market differential of four thousand dollars a day. That's an extra one hundred and sixty thousand across the period. That's what we get. That's that's what that's what we're entitled to. And the has said no. The the measure of loss for redelivery in the wrong place should be your net profit, which you would have earned on a hypothetical voyage from the actual place of redelivery to the um, intended place of redelivery, um, and that would be a substantially lower sum, or in the region of twenty thousand. And yeah, the, the 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 tribunal agreed with with the charterers, and they they made an award in that amount. You'd imagine there was a property assessment office at somewhere in that amount or close to it that charterers then um, could rely on in in costs. Um, but in, yeah, a, sh- a short one, but an interesting one. And we see this issue a lot. You know, can can you claim those not uh, consequential losses for a loss on follow-on fixture? Um, well, it depends what you said at the time of chartering, I suppose.
0: Yeah, I I don't think it would look. Very pretty for owners on costs on this one, even though they recovered, even though they recovered twenty-one odd thousand. I think that's pretty much what charters are offering to pay. So, um, yeah, okay, good, well, I think we did do pretty quick, we did do that pretty quickly. Um, Twenty minutes still.
1: <laughs> We've not hit the ten, but we're uh, we're get, we're getting closer.
0: We're getting closer. All right, Callum. Always a pleasure. Look, thanks everyone for listening in. We hope you've enjoyed this one. Um, as ever, if you want to um, want to follow us, you can find us on on the in the usual places: Spotify, YouTube, Apple, Google. Um, so yeah, thanks for listening in. Until next week, take care. Cheers, everybody. Bye.